Hey folks, I'm just here to let you know that for time reasons, we couldn't include our whole interview with Anna in the episode, but the whole thing is available to everyone on our Patreon. Definitely check it out because it's wonderful and funny and you'll learn so much about playing IRL Quidditch. To find it, just visit patreon.com slash thegaylyprofit and select the public posts option. And with that... The Gaily Prophet operates under the assumption that you've read the books. If you haven't read the books, go and read them. Otherwise, you're going to be spoiled, and that's your choice in this world. Gay people love puns. I'm dead. We have to stop this podcast. Well, this book causes Satanism. What is left for us to rant about? There is nothing straight about plum velvet. <laughs> you shouldn't have been drinking when I said that. <laughs> Monocles are impractical, but hot. I don't for a second believe that she is a straight person. I mean, I'm definitely here for bisexual Minerva McGonagall. Let's talk about <laughs> Harry Potter. Hello, and welcome to The Gaily Prophet, a humorous yet ruthless podcast about Harry Potter. What? Why can't I remember what our intro is lately? A, Just humorous. switch it up. Whatever. <laughs> we make too many podcasts now. <laughs> <laughs> I was seeing that. I was like, I'm excited for the Slayer one. It's real fun. Anyway, um... <laughs> Hello, and welcome to The Gaily Prophet, a humorous yet ruthless podcast for two queer IRL witches. Reread Harry Potter and talk about it. I am Lark Malachi Gray. And I am Crookshank's biggest fan, Jesse Blount. And today we are talking about Chapter 22, Owl Post Again, in which Harry and Hermione make it back to the hospital wing just in time to close the time loop and secure their own alibi. And Dumbledore's. Snape freaks out. But Dumbledore gaslights him about the Golden Trio being involved, which is very on-brand for Dumbledore. Fudge and the Dementors leave, and we just have some loose ends to tie up. Hagrid is thrilled that her friend has flown the coop. Snape outs Lupin as petty revenge because he's a douche canoe of the highest order. Lupin resigns because bigotry. Harry tells Dumbledore about Trelawney's other prediction. And the school year ends for Harry on the lowest note yet. Having had the brief taste of escaping his abusers, only to be thwarted by the system. Ron cheers him up by inviting him to the Quidditch World Cup that summer, and our very best dog father has a last gift for Harry, a letter filling in all of the last of the loose ends of this book, a signed permission slip for Hogsmeade, and a new pet for Ron, and a new way of keeping the Dursleys in line. The end. Oh, the end. I know. <laughs> and with us in our virtual studio to discuss this chapter we have anna mariano anna is the author of this is how we fly which we are going to be discussing momentarily uh she grew up in houston texas with an older brother and a younger brother but tragically no sisters anna likes reading knitting playing full contact quidditch and translating english song lyrics into spanish and vice versa She's also the author of the Love Sugar Magic series. I can talk. Anna, <laughs> welcome to the Gaily Prophet. Thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Um, I always laugh when I find out that my uh, Love Sugar Magic bio has gotten kind of like further out in the world than I expected it to because that book is all about sisters. Um, so that part about like not having any sisters makes a lot more sense in that context. But, <laughs> and then, it, But it just pops up everywhere. I'm like, oh. Somewhere my brothers are mad at me. Oh. <laughs> eh. 
failed deal. Um, so let's start off by uh, talking about what your Hogwarts house is. My house, I'm a Hufflepuff. Excellent. The best Which of houses. Is, yeah. I would really like to be a Hufflepunk, but I'm like not. It's just, it's, I don't have it in me. Uh, that's like, I aspire to be that. And I used to take a lot more pride in my house before recent events. So, you know, I had to recently take down my banner from my like entryway and that was kind of a sad moment for me. But yeah, it's been, I think I was in Harry Potter club in high school and we took the sorting quiz and I was very offended that I was sorted into Hufflepuff. And then the older I get, the more I've just like really embraced that. Yeah. I think Hufflepuff is also like the best house to be during a pandemic where you can't leave your house ever. Oh, absolutely. (laughs) I'm just like thriving here in my little... (laughs) There's a word that I'm looking for, whatever, bunker. Mm-hmm. Cozy bunker. Mm-hmm. That should be a new hashtag. Hashtag cozy bunker. Uh, yeah. <laughs> hashtag bunker core. Okay, I'm sorry, I'll stop. <laughs> yes. All right, so next, will you please tell us what your Patronus is and how it relates to your most deeply held identities? I My Patronus is a hummingbird. Yes. I was already really into hummingbirds as a kid. Um, we kind of, we get them in Houston. They come by whenever the season is. I don't have a good sense of time, so I don't know. But my dad would always put out hummingbird water or hummingbird feeders for them. And so I already really liked them. And then more recently, I've been like learning about the kind of like Aztec myth of hummingbirds and how they were like representative of warriors, uh, which is like a little wild to me because they're so little. I, I always thought of them as like little cute, tiny things. Um, so that really speaks to me being like very tiny and kind of perceived as in this like, oh, look cute. But like, apparently they really will fuck you up or fuck each other up at least. Like they're kind of vicious. And I like that. Nice. <laughs> Again, aspiring to be punk, but not really actually punk. Kind of small, kind of a lightweight. Uh, <laughs> I, uh, when I played in the Quidditch World Cup, for the New York Bad Asilisks when I was up there rather than down here in Texas. They asked us for, you know, things that the commenters commentators could say about us, Lee Jordan style. Mm-hmm. And my thing was that I lived on junior mints the way that hummingbirds live on sugar. So hummingbirds. <laughs> that's, that's incredible. Yeah, yeah that's awesome. <laughs> uh, everyone has the best answers to this question. I'm so, <laughs> so glad that we ask it. Um, all right, so we're going to get into it. And we're going to start this newspaper off with today's headlines. Tragedy at Hogwarts. Harry Potter loses two chosen dads in one go. Aww. Womp womp. Tragedy. (laughs) It's so sad. With that, we're going to get into the front page where we talk (laughs) about everything that doesn't belong anywhere else. And Anna, I would love it if you would kick us off. All right. I said that they really just stole the Lion King moment of, you know, your father is within you. And (laughs) that is how you can find your peace with the. And it was so effective. Like, I was mad because it was clearly stolen from the Lion King. (laughs) But also, I couldn't be that mad because I was like, oh, it's so powerful. Um,. And, you know, Dumbledore is very manipulative and gaslighty and all sorts of problems. But, like, you know, he gave that speech and I was like, ah, oh, you got me. <laughs> Wipe my tear away, you know. 
Yeah, that's how I feel about a lot of Dumbledore's advice where I'm like, you're like probably one of the worst characters in this book, but my two favorite quotes in this book are lines from him and I'm like, God dang it. <laughs> yeah, like he's so good at it. He's so manipulative. He even manipulates the reader. Uh. <laughs> yes, well said. Um, yeah, Jesse, what do you have first here? Uh, I know we're we're going to be talking a lot about Snape in this chapter. I have one value neutral thing about Snape, which is shocking. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, he appears to be the only other canonical person to have read Hogwarts of History, as he is <laughs> one of the few people we get who is like, you cannot apparate in or out of Hogwarts. Like, why does no one know this? And it's like, <laughs> yep. <laughs> no one else has yeah. read this book, apparently, even though I desperately want to read Hogwarts of History, but... <laughs> Yeah. Snape and Hermione, the only two. <laughs> Which just makes a lot of sense, honestly. Yeah. Truly. <sighs> okay, so my first thing, which like this maybe could have been an editorial, but the whole argument that like Harry and Hermione couldn't have, have had anything to do with it because the door was locked is like there's a spell for that. And like also Fudge and Snape burst into the room without a key. And so it's like you just use the spell, I assume, to open this door that was locked. So like this is a very illogical argument. This is no kind of evidence. Also the fact that Dumbledore's like, I have to lock you in. It's like, what does that even mean in this world? Nothing. This is very silly and not convincing. And like it seems like the stronger argument would be I was standing with them five minutes ago, or I think they said maybe ten, maybe ten minutes have passed. Right. And also, like, Madame Pomfrey has been there. Like, in her timeline, she left for, like, moments and came back and they were still there. They're, yeah, yeah. they're way better. Way better arguments. <laughs> yeah, so the left door was kind of a redundant point. Yeah. That's very silly. Um, okay, Anna, what do you have next? <laughs> uh, just that Percy's a cop. That's it. That's all. It wasn't even a big line. He was just like... What about like the changes he's going to make at the ministry? Yeah, he said, when I get in the ministry, I have some things to say about magical law enforcement. I was just like, yep, fits in with everything I know about you. <laughs> you know, I I also actually clocked that too. I'm just like, oh, don't be tough on crime. That's like the worst stance you can Mm-mm. take, Percy. <laughs> but I was also like, like wait, how is and we see where it leads him too. Nowhere good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Percy. <laughs> All right, Jesse, what do you have? I have, sorry, I actually have another thing about Snape. <laughs> <laughs> so we've been like paying attention to when we get gendered adverbs, adjectives. I don't, whenever like you have like an action and it's verb. Verb. Thank you. Um, and we get a passage about Snape shrieking at. Harry slash fudge slash whoever, which is, Whoa. I think, the first time we get that verb used in a sentence by a male character. And I don't know if it happens again. Whoa. I guess we'll find out. And um, to all of our listeners out there, this still does not mean that we are at all interested in the Snape is trans fan theory. Sorry. Yes. Don't write to us about that. <laughs> sorry. Sorry. Wrong, wrong podcast for that. <laughs> Um, that's wild. Also, well spotted, Jesse. I'm my brain just went on a total tangent of like, so the shrieking shack, especially with the you know shrieking shack 
polyamory thing from the last episode. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> just the whole brain is in a whole other plane right now, but interesting. Sarah will do that to you. Yeah, we definitely... That's interesting because, like, because J.K. Rowling loves Snape, but that is something that, like, from her writing, we know is something that she's saying to, like, emasculate Snape. Like, she wouldn't use... She doesn't use that word for male characters ever. So, hmm. And I think this is an interesting moment for Snape, too, because, like, I mean, like you said, J.K. Rowling loves him. But he does not... It's hard to even make an excuse for... I mean, I think even characters in the book point out, like, he seems a little... Like, this is an extreme reaction. This is, like, too far. And it was kind of, it was kind of like... It was a lot to read. He, like, he is. Like, he's he's shrieking. It's all caps. It's really, really, really angry at Harry. And, I mean, we know, like, what he's really angry about and how he sees Harry as James and going through all that, like, psychological displacement, whatever. But, yeah, I think that this might be a moment where even even Rowling doesn't think he's doing the right thing or he's <laughs> redeemable. Totally. She almost caught on, maybe. Uh, staying on Snape... I have a lot of criticism of him later, but I do have one teeny tiny thing where I feel bad for him, which is that he lost his Order of Merlin, but he still totally saved everybody, even though he didn't catch Sirius or like Sirius got away. Snape still apprehended him. And like, I don't really understand what earns a person the Order of Merlin, but like if he had qualified for it previously, Sirius escaping shouldn't disqualify him from that and like that i feel a little bit bad for him which is shitty another reason why fudge is the worst true yeah i didn't even think about that but you're right i mean he did actually catch him it wasn't he wasn't the one who let him go right exactly yeah and i feel like you could totally see fudge being like well i don't want to draw any more attention to this in the press so you're not getting a merlin right. at all so we can just kind of forget about this whole thing ever happened that's just the worst <laughs> so awful i know but i know what you mean like it there was a tiny bit of sympathy there just because it was because dumbledore was so clearly gaslighting Snape. <laughs> so it was just like you know on the one hand you don't deserve to like come out of this whole experience feeling happy about your life but like also it's kind of unfair that Dumbledore has set you up to look so yeah uninformed or unable to know what's going on right yeah um Anna what do you have next uh I have Dean wants a sexy vampire teacher Yup, he sure does. Hopefully. He said it hopefully. And he deserves one. Right? The Dean Twilight crossover fanfics write themselves. (laughs) Why has no one written a fanfic where they get a vampire teacher for book four? Jesse, isn't this the part where you open your doc for fanfics (sighs) to write for Patreon? (laughs) Which is getting out of hand long at this point. Oh my (laughs) god. Here is an we... expert. Here is an. <laughs> it's just, it's just Spike teaching them defense against the dark arts. <laughs> oh my god! Yes. Oh my god. <laughs> okay, I might need to write. So that. good. We do could it. we could do it as a as a queer blur. If you don't want to write it, we could make yes, it. Yes, let's do that. 
Oh, oh man. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Jesse, what do you have? Okay, so Fudge says sarcastically that maybe they should get Hogwarts a guard dragon. Which, considering all the bullshit that happens in the course of this series, yeah, they should have gotten a fucking guard dragon. Hagrid would have that dragon eating out of her palm. It wouldn't be, like, she's already tame half of the Forbidden Forest. Just get mm-hmm. her a dragon. And then, when, like, Voldemort and his crew rolls up in book seven, you have a fucking dragon. Dragon. Yep. Missed opportunity. <laughs> Can you imagine her her ZooTube channel that <laughs> we created eons ago? Where we get like those heart wrenching videos of like feral dogs that are trained to be sweet, loving dogs through like, you know, positive conditioning. And it would be like Hagrid coming close to the dragon and like tossing it some meat and then like getting closer every day. And there's like a score underneath it. And by the end, the dragon is like rolling on the floor, being super sweet and everyone's crying. And by some meat, you mean like literally like half of a pig. (laughs) Like Hagrid is just. Tossing like full goats <laughs> and like half a pig at the <laughs> dragon. Oh, I love it so this, much. This YouTube video has a lot of angry comments from Aber- Aberforth. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. wow. That is so perfect. That is like the best deep cut <laughs> comment maybe ever made on the Gaily Prophet to date. <laughs> I'm oh my giving God. away what a nerd what a nerd I am. Um that's why it you're here. So. Nobody nobody was yeah. nobody was fooled. Yeah. Oh gosh. Yeah, so speaking of Hagrid, she has been up drinking alone <laughs> all night, apparently. Which like I get it, you're celebrating, except like She's what, like 60 something? I am 30 something and cannot even have like two drinks and go to bed at 11 without feeling kind of shitty the next day. I'm like, girl, how? Like, what are you doing? How is your body taking care of you in this instance? That is, that's no good. I didn't fully realize that that was like an up all night uh, situation. But yeah, that is what she says, right? Yep. Yep. Yeah, because if, like, if witches live to be 150, being 60 is basically, like, being 30? Mm-hmm. I mean, I definitely couldn't, par- I definitely can't party like I couldn't party like I used to at 30, but, like, I could still, like, right, have more than two drinks and not fall asleep, so. <laughs> <laughs> Which is definitely the case now. <laughs> maybe just, like, maybe it was, like, a lot of, like, partying with the, with the animals and, like, you know, just... <laughs> euphorically staring at the sky maybe the centaurs are there she gave yeah. herself like a buckbeak stick and poke tattoo at 4 a.m <laughs> <laughs> wait i want you to imagine a centaur giving her a stick and poke tattoo at like 4 a.m. oh <laughs> for friends definitely Amazing. does stick and pokes on the side oh my god wait do all the centaurs have stick and poke tattoos because i want this to be canon I mean, it's my canon yes. now. They all have yes. They all have really funny astrology based. <laughs> 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 yep. Just one on like their bicep that just says Mars is bright tonight. <laughs> <sighs> I believe it's your turn, Anna. It is. Oh, so um, 
I guess this lines up with the dragon. I was just kind of like checking off all the foreshadowing. They mentioned, I actually plucked the dragon as a, as a foreshadowing. He was like, maybe we should get a guard dragon for Hogwarts. And then they end up with the dragons uh, on campus next year. And then they mention the World Cup and they mention, um, oh, the prophecy. He's like, oh, her, her correct prophecy is at two now. And I'm like, what's the other one, Dumbledore? <laughs> You know, I would think that you slipped, except you clearly know where the next book is headed because you're just this puppet master. So yeah. I just, lots of foreshadowing of book four. I also liked uh, them speculating about like, what will the next defense teacher be like? Like, what kind of monster will we get next year? And it's like, what indeed? Yeah. And they've started to, <laughs> I like when the characters start to pick up on the pattern. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, see. I just want to mention, since we get confirmation that James's animaji form, animagus form, whatever, that James used to transform into a deer, and that's why his name was Prongs. And I just want to point out that the Marauders are such fucking dorks. Like, <laughs> they give themselves the dorkiest code names, and I'm just like, True. you like precious weirdos. I mean, Prongs is a cool name. I will give them that. But I'm also just like, you guys are fucking dorks. Yeah, Moody and Prongs are cool, but Padfoot's like pretty dorky. But I feel like that also is very fitting. Yeah. Because, I mean, Sirius is like a very cool babe, but also is like very clearly a super softy, (laughs) just dork who needs to be cuddled all the time. So. Cool. I love the way that these are leading into each other. This is pure coincidence, but here's my last one, which is also Marauders based because I love the scene where Lupin is like, I'm not your teacher anymore. So like, I don't feel guilty (laughs) giving you this map while just spewing the guiltiest vibes all over the room. like everything about his body language and like the way that he says it is like i feel super fucking guilty about this well like he's like i feel fine it's like (laughs) you don't but like i get it he's so lawful (laughs) yes (laughs) but like now he's now he's been reunited with sirius so he's got he's got that little you know i'm gonna give it to you i'm just gonna feel horrible about it and i'm gonna find the loophole to explain why it's okay that i'm giving it to you (laughs) Yeah, I feel like it's um, like he feels obligated to James to give Mm -hmm. a map to Harry. And he's like, I don't think I should be doing this. But he has this like real sense of, yeah, this real sense of like having to do this thing for for his buddy, which is really cute. Also, Sears would be like, why do you still have this? Why didn't you give it to Harry? (laughs) That's true. (laughs) Also, like. God, we've got to give you some advantages here. Like, we know Dumbledore is manipulating you. Right. It's like, you probably aren't going to do anything nearly as fun as we did with this map, but you're probably going to need it so you don't die. So here you go, buddy. And, you know, he's totally right about that. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. Jesse? I should have brought this up when we're talking about foreshadowing, but in foreshadowing, we also have Chekhov's life debt. When Dumbledore is oh, like, right. one day, you're going to be so thankful that you saved Pettigrew's life. And then in reality, it's like, no, everything terrible happens, <laughs> which isn't Harry's fault. It's Pettigrew's fault. But then right. it's like, it's going to come back. Don't you worry about it. Damn, <laughs> you were right. <laughs> yeah. Um, Jesse, are you done here? I have like one more thing. 
Okay. I love how Sirius feels so guilty about Ron. I mean, mostly probably about breaking his leg and putting him in the hospital, but also like, (laughs) you don't have a pet anymore. And he just does like the ultimate rich person thing of like, well, here's a new iPhone. That's also a pet. And it's like... (laughs) And it's just like, Ron is so happy. And I'm so glad Ron is so happy. But it's like... You just dropped, like, however many galleons an owl cost. A tiny owl to travel internationally? Like, that is not a cheap gift. I don't think he bought that owl. I think he found that owl. (laughs) Either either version is great, actually. Like, both the... Or, like, stealing it and leaving the money because he's rich and also on the run. Yeah, because he's, like, he's the best one I could find. And it's, like, if he was buying an owl, he was not gonna buy an owl that, like was so unlikely to get the job done (laughs) or maybe he like adopted it from like an owl rescue or something i don't know i pigwidgeon doesn't feel like (laughs) a purchased owl (laughs) to me it's like the like on the corner post office where it's just some dude in like a table and he just has like like a trench coat full of owls If they're all pigwidgeon sized, you could definitely fit a lot of that, a lot of tiny owls into a trench coat. And then, of course, Sirius is, like, going to adopt the one that seems the most enthusiastic, like, someone who, like, goes to the animal shelter and is like, this cat wanted to come home with me the most intensely. It's got, like, a ton of behavior issues, which is probably what was actually happening. But, like, it has such cute eyes. And we're like, yeah, Sirius, of course, that's the one you got. Like, look at you. I also like that Ron gets to go from like just the most apparently conniving pet to this like very very simple tiny owl that just wants to do a good job (laughs) yes oh man that's so fucking tender Sirius is so tender Welcome to Literature Reviews, where we talk about another book, specifically, This Is How We Fly, by Anna. Real stoked about this. (laughs) Yeah, so let's start off. Can you just, like, talk to us about the book and, like, what inspired you and, like, you know, all of the most exciting things that you want to share with our listeners? Sure. Um, I'm hilariously bad at elevator pitching this book because it's kind of a coming of age story coming of age which means that there is no plot that's the secret if you ever wanted (laughs) to know the secret of coming of age stories uh (laughs) but i'll do my best so uh this book this is how we fly it's about ellen who is 17 just graduated high school has like her last summer left before college uh and it's kind of just in that weird space of like well i haven't left yet just sitting here in my life. And she has this plan to kind of like spend a lot of time bonding with her friends before they all leave. And then her best friend kind of drops this bomb of like, so I'm going to get some space because high school's over and like, peace out. And so she starts to feel like everyone's abandoning her and she gets in a fight with her stepmom and gets grounded. And she, the, the only thing she's allowed to do to leave the house is to go play Quidditch because her parents want her to like get exercise and her best friend has invited her to join a Quidditch team. Quidditch is actually a real sport. I don't know how familiar y'all are with that or the listeners are with that. Uh, So this is based on real experiences that I had playing Quidditch in real life. And, you know, for Ellen, it's sort of like a journey to realize that 
going off into this unknown future is like not as scary as it seems, um, that she can kind of grow into herself now that she's able to get further away from her family and like branch out a little bit. The story is loosely hung over the plot of Cinderella. So it's totally contemporary. Um, there is no magic, but there's some, you know, recognizable details, evil stepmother, a place that she really wants to go and is not allowed to go, which is a Quidditch tournament in this case, exciting one night stand at said tournament ball situation, and then she loses a cleat. So I uh, use that fairy tale to kind of keep me on track to have a plot at all. And yes, I don't know what else to say. I got lost in my attempt to elevator pitch. I mean, I think that's, I think that's great. And I also think that the book is like exquisitely crafted, uh, whether or not you think it has a plot. (laughs) It's extremely well written. I read it in a day, which is what happens when I read well written books is that I'm like, nope, I will be doing nothing but reading today. And then I'm going to feel super disoriented like I did a bunch of drugs when I come out of this book. That's so (laughs) Um, relatable and like the highest compliment. Thank you. Absolutely. Yeah. So Jesse and I have some questions for you, if that's cool. Yeah, thank you. So can we talk about JK Rowling and oh, yes. like the, I assume, edits that you made to the book to <laughs> reflect upon the new reality of the relationship that we all have with the author? Yeah. Yeah. Like what was that editing process like and how has it maybe changed your relationship with the book itself yeah well I was mostly done with everything when this was all happening I think I only had my final pass pages so there were some things that I I, and this is you know JK Rowling did not just become transphobic this summer Uh, like we've been seeing it happen slowly since a little earlier and so I did have that there were some lines or some details that were in there already because I was like aware that it was you know like maybe an undercurrent or that we knew that you know and and also her non-British schools were kind of racist and so like you know there was stuff that was problematic um things that we knew the books weren't perfect and that we needed to like have a critical lens before this summer so I was actually so there was a scene that I wrote when the wizard rock fandom Uh, had a big reckoning in like 2014 or 2015. It was like, I don't think we had the hashtag Me Too yet, but it was like the Me Too moment in Wizard Rock. And so I had written this scene or like like a snippet where someone said something about like problematic fandom things. And so I think in past pages, I just like very slightly altered the line to be like not about Wizard Rock, but about the whole thing. And then I made sure that the online group just straight up said fuck turfs in the middle of it um, and things like that. But yeah, it was all like, it all had to be small changes because I was at the stage in my, in the book process where I could only make small changes. Mm -hmm. A little unfortunate because I don't want the book to be something that is making people feel bad. And it's kind of, we're kind of in the space where, you know, the, the people that I thought would be like the ideal readers for this book, because, you know, Ellen has her feelings about gender that she's kind of grappling with and not really coming to a full conclusion with in the book. Um, And I was kind of like hoping that, you know, this book would speak to people who are in that situation. And now I'm like, oh, my God, the people that I was hoping would read this book, the people who might need this book are going to be turned off by it because it is associated with this really harmful thing. And that is frustrating. 
And yeah, um, I really like, I mean, I'm sure y'all are dealing with some of this as well. <laughs> I appreciate that things like the Gailey Prophet exist um, and that the fandom is, you know, finding ways to continue loving each other and supporting each other without supporting the bigots who created the thing. But yeah. yeah. Jesse, do you, I think it's your turn to ask a question if you want to. Uh, yeah. Uh, so I, I really love the complexity of uh, kind of Aaron's family dynamic at the time, you know, of the book. And it's kind of like weird space between high school and college. And I just want to know if you could talk a little bit about creating that kind of dynamic and like how maybe that changed when you were writing it. Yeah. So I think like the, I just love writing families. I just think that that is a fun thing. I mentioned that my other series is like all about sisters and <laughs> the family in that book is very close knit and they're very like, you know, I tried my best to write them in a very healthy way where they're always like very loving and supportive of each other. And the parents do things that you're, that make you think like, what? Ah, yes. What good parents you are. Uh, and my family was really happy when I published those books. <laughs> my family's a little less happy. <laughs> <laughs> with this one because I was writing a different kind of uh, parental situation, a different kind of family situation where like things are not the way that you kind of wish they would be. We've got parents who are, you know, I wouldn't say evil, but like definitely dropping the ball in a lot of ways. I think that one of the things that is so heartbreaking about Ellen as a character is that she, because, partially because it's based in that Cinderella idea, she is not really doing anything wrong which like is not a very popular literary thing like you're supposed to give your characters all these like you know flaws and mistakes and it's not that Ellen doesn't have a lot of flaws but like most of her things that she's doing wrong is very much like I'm just in the wrong situation I'm in the wrong space for the person that I am um which is again kind of the Cinderella story like Cinderella doesn't have to change who she is as a person she has to get out of a bad situation right and I think that it's like when I started using this as a plot, you know, trying to write that, that fairy tale, I kind of realized that's kind of a problem because you don't usually want a really passive main character. But also it's kind of cool that that story exists. I've never, I had never sat down and thought about the fact that like so many times we're told, well, if something bad is happening, you know, you got to go take charge. You got to like change your life. You're doing something wrong. And if you fix it, you will, your life will get better. So it's kind of nice to have a hero protagonist who is not doing like, Ellen makes a lot of mistakes. I don't want to act like she's not doing anything wrong, but like is not fundamentally bucking up their own life. They just mm -hmm. need the support and like confidence to get out of a situation that is incorrect for them. Um, so I just really liked writing that. I really liked creating those moments where the fights that she's getting into with her family are like kind of at their base level, kind of silly or kind of like, I hope kind of relatable super relatable yeah <laughs> yeah unfortunately um but that like you know the way that the way that she and her stepmom are clashing is just there's so much else going on it's not that it really matters that the three kings are used to be people of color and in this in this little figurine set are white like that's at the end of the day that's not a reason to drive to mexico but like that the fight is so much deeper and that there's so many levels of like the expectations they have about each other and the expectations they have about what their family is supposed to be or it's supposed to look like. And yeah, I don't know. I liked creating those things. And the the Ellen and Connie dynamic was one that I had to work on a lot because it wasn't 
hitting quite right um, for a lot of the drafts, a lot of the different rounds of revision. And I had some people who wanted me to go in more of a direction of like, I would say redeeming Connie or like giving, making her more nice at the end. And I really didn't want to go that way. So then instead I had to go into making her like not cartoonishly evil, but just like human which is like the other way because they were like no she's too cartoonishly bad she's so you have to make her nicer and i was like mm, i don't think so though uh i don't want like i don't want it to be like and then you've been kind of like emotionally abused and then it's fine at the end so instead it was just kind of making like getting them to realize what is their fundamental difference and if we can't resolve it or if we see it you know can we just get ourselves out of that situation can we like basically find a way to where we're not harming each other anymore, or mostly so that Ellen's not getting harmed. I care a little more about her in this situation. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely found, given the Cinderella framework or whatever, I had definitely finished the book and was like, yeah, there was like good resolution, but I really think that we should have gone with like having the eyes pecked out. Like mm. I would have been <laughs> fine with the parents having their eyes pecked out. Like I definitely read it and was like, this is terrible abuse and like, I don't want her to forgive her parents or like ever go home for the summers as someone who's like a really big fan of being like, throw your parents into the sun. (laughs) Like that's my primary advice to everyone is like, they don't deserve you. Get rid of them. So (laughs) I was like, Ellen, go like never. If you can't get birds to peck their eyes out, at least never come home. (laughs) Like, you know, these people don't deserve you. You know, that's so, that's so funny. Love that you said that. Cause I had like a, I had a different, I had, a, I had like a slightly different reading on it where it's like, so uh, I have a mom who definitely uh, dropped the ball emotionally during my childhood. So like a lot of, I could definitely connect with a lot of Aaron's sort of like anxiety about like what's going on and like all of the emotional abuse that was happening. But I feel like maybe like, it must've been like two thirds of the way through the book whenever like uh, Ellen is arguing about, right, like the the races of the three kings and like Connie's pushing back and it's like you're trying to like this like facade of normal is sort of your protection because you are like a Mexican immigrant and then in the U.S. and you're trying to protect your stepdaughter from like sticking out of the crowd and it's like which is I I mean I feel like an incorrect feeling because being a person of color in America means (laughs) white people are never gonna forget about you not being white but uh, yep. it's like I, so like I empathize with that, but I'm like, oh, you are still going about this all the wrong way and you really need to go to therapy. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Um, yeah, I, I, I'm so like grateful for and also embarrassed by the fact that one of my beta readers had to point that out to me. Uh, I just <laughs> had them clashing over. I had them clashing over these things and my, my, my friend was like, you know, Connie probably experiences all these issues as well. I was like, you're right. You're right. You're right. You're right. You're right. <laughs> That, in fact, probably explains what she's acting like. And they were like, yeah, I assumed you were going there and then you weren't. And I was like, you would think I had been going there on purpose. (laughs) I'll be going there now. Um, Well, I love hearing those two different perspectives about it. Yeah, I, I mean, like I said, I got a lot of pushing from multiple places that were really trying to get me to go like, yay, happy family at the end. And I, so I felt like I had like very much not done that and been like, no, they're still wrong. But it's funny, Lark, that you're like ask you're like wanting to, I don't know, get even more, get like more of a solid break. I don't know. I hadn't, I didn't really think about that because no one, no one ever told me I could do that. Everyone was just like, can they be nicer? <laughs> can they please be a little, you know, happy at the end? I'm like, can I, you know? 
I feel like we could talk about this forever, which is why we make YA lit podcasts. Um, but we should we should move on. Yeah, thank you so much for having this conversation with us because that was Yeah, no, thank y'all for your super thoughtful questions and for like reading the book. Oh my gosh. Still not over the fact that people have done that. <laughs> yeah, I like I super I super enjoyed it. I thought it was that it was excellent. Thanks all. Welcome to the education section where we talk about this goddamn school. <laughs> um, Anna, what do you have? I have. So in the same way that recently there's been a lot of discussion about like what is the role of education during a crisis? Um, should we be, for example, canceling grades because of, its, because of the pandemic? Like when school went online, how are we... I'm going to use very sarcastic quotes for this, holding students accountable or like, you know, not doing that, preferably not doing that. Um, how, how do we like negotiate those spaces? I kind of felt that about this because they were like, I mean, I, you know, I jumped in at chapter 22, but I know generally what happens. All this stuff was going down. There was a mass murderer and then he was caught and then he was released. And like everyone, the next chapter, everyone's just like, yeah, so, you know, Friend George got a couple of owls, and I'm like, who cares? (laughs) Dude, why are you still giving out? Like, I mean, it just seemed like, and and this is the theme with Hogwarts, is that, like, so much more important things and, like, traumatic things and really scary things are happening in the castle, and they're just like, well, we have to have finals. And it usually I thought that was unrealistic. This year I've been thinking, you know, maybe it is realistic because... Sometimes that's the sort of direction we seem to be going is like, well, the world is a garbage fire. Let's make sure that we don't give our kids an extension on anything. Yeah. You know, book one, we get exams canceled, quote unquote, as a treat, or like we could read it as because your defense against the dark arts teacher was Voldemort and everything (laughs) was really terrible. This is book one, right? Yeah. Yeah, actually, I forgot about that, but yeah. And it's one of the only times that I've, like, taken serious issue with the podcast Witch Please because they were very upset about the idea, as educators, of exams being canceled as a treat. And I'm like, Mm. A, exams are bullshit, and I will (laughs) fight you to the death about the fact that we should never have exams. But B, like, no, it's, like, right, you're exactly right. Like, these children are in crisis, and you should not be expecting them to be able to take tests and like perform in that way right now that's inappropriate behavior yeah also you the fact that u.s educate that u.s schools are doing anything that resembles what hogwarts does in a crisis is a bad <laughs> look bad bad look for the education true facts <laughs> because like you're you're an average student and you hear that like sirius black was on school campus and then he escaped and then to a day or two later, they're like, all right, here are your owls. What? What if he comes in here and tries to murder us? Are you guys kidding? Right. Yeah. And we know yeah. they don't have, like, a school counselor to, like, help you through the test anxiety or the or the mass murderer anxiety. I don't know what that's called. Just, I mean, whatever it is we're <laughs> in right now, that's what these students have been in. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Jesse, you didn't have anything here, right? Uh, I moved to my, I actually moved a couple of things that I had in politics to education. Cool. What do you have? I guess I figured that y'all probably have something similar, but I just have Snape, what the fuck? <laughs> mm-hmm. Always. 
Yeah, my first note is that if he didn't need to be fired before, he does now. Uh, and my alternate headline for this chapter was Snape the Snitch Deprives Students of Quality Education Due to a Petty Grudge. Because he fucking, <laughs> A, like, he gets Lupin fired. Lupin is the best teacher ever. Mm-hmm. And he fucking rats him out to children. Like, no, Snape. No, I hate you all the time, but I hate you so much in this fucking chapter. That is such bad behavior. Throw him into the sun. Throw everyone into the sun. <laughs> like I, He's in the club. I am not, I cannot with him. It's like happiest seasons level of traumatic. Yes, yes it is. <laughs> Figured yeah. it was the right audience. Hashtag I understood that reference. <laughs> I understand it in that I decided not to watch it because of everyone's commentary. It was a good choice. It. it was a good choice. Actually, yeah. a lot of people like it. It has like 86% on Rotten Tomatoes. I'm like, were we all watching the same movie? Yeah, the people that I've seen liking it versus the people that I've seen not liking it has been even more evidence to me that I should not watch it. So I have heard some people who say like, I liked it. And then I say like, you did. And they're like, oh, I mean, I hated all of the main characters. Like, you know, like I hated all the things, <laughs> but I still liked the movie because it was fun. And I was like, okay, so you just mean you like looking at Kristen Stewart? And they're like, yeah. Like, okay. All right, fair. <laughs> Valid. Oh my gosh. Uh, wait, someone was going to say something. I'm sorry. <laughs> Jesse? That, that outing the teacher to children was traumatic. And then that whole conversation that they had was traumatic because he was just so, yeah. So awful. Yeah, Jesse, you brought this up, so I feel like you have to say something about it besides just, like, kicking off the conversation. Oh, right. Um, yeah, just being the fucking worst this chapter. And, like, right, it's like... I mean, like, so his actions with outing Lupin is the most petty. But also just, like, I feel like I want to say violence, and I feel like I want to say that because it puts Lupin in danger. Like, he's Mm -hmm. like, I'm leaving, so letters don't arrive from the parents and probably a mob with torches and pitchforks because there's a werewolf teaching their children. Mm -hmm. Even though it's like, you're a werewolf, like, two months out of the month, and you're not teaching the children in your werewolf form so it's like this isn't even an issue and like dementors are okay for nine months (laughs) like giving all the student body incredible depression but having like fucking lupin teach them defense against the dark arts is like the worst it's like if the werewolves were cops that would be a whole different story we would be okay with them (laughs) Uh, oh my god yeah, uh, yeah, uh, adding people is violence. Don't do that. Can I say something that's just occurring to me right now? So yeah. the defense job is cursed, right? And apparently was cursed pre-Harry getting there. But like, if we just look at it from the standpoint of it being cursed post-Harry getting there, I is Snape the curse? Because he was working <laughs> against Quirrell all year. He's the one who manipulated Lockhart right into the situation where he's the one who has to go fight the basilisk or whatever he got lupin kicked out at least up until book three snape has a very heavy hand in ending all of these people's careers and he wants that job. and he wants the job <laughs> okay so i think this has validity because we find out whatever book that is that voldemort curses this position because he wanted it and mm-hmm. because death eaters are just 
super whiny <laughs> in it, like internet trolls. No one else can have it. And so maybe that magic works more on Snape because he is a Death Eater and whatever weird connection he has with the tattoo and like Voldemort's magic is like... Yeah, like maybe we blame it on Voldemort, but it was actually Snape putting the curse. Or at least, he at, least did some, he at least did some evil eye, you know? Yeah. Which makes you wonder what kind of fucked up shit he did pre-Harry that they would just still have a like revolving door of defense against the dark arts teachers. I feel like I read a fan fiction where that was mentioned briefly, where like they'd all have like terrible accidents. <laughs> Someone would get like killed accidentally. And it's just always like a more ridiculous thing that would happen. It's like a Stephen King novel with Snape as the bad guy. Which like then explains why nobody reacts in Harry's terms, because they're just like, yeah. This, is, this may as well happen. It's already 2020 all <laughs> ever since we've been here. Yeah. Uh, I, now I'm thinking about the like, you know, prophecy ban that we have for 2020 where like anybody who's like, LOL, this is coming next. Someone is like, stop. We have a prophecy ban. And just imagine someone like rushing into Trelawney's tower and like covering her mouth as she's issuing a real <laughs> prophecy to be like, no, there's a prophecy stop. ban right now. We will not be hearing from you right now. nobody needs this okay the only other thing i had besides snape is that i i mean obviously can't let a book end without talking about how fucked up it is that sports scores count towards the house cup points because that's so fucked up (laughs) i mean i'm from texas so like it felt true and relatable to me (laughs) I don't think that makes it any better. No, Uh, No, not necessarily, but... Yeah, I mean, I don't like the fact that they have a house cup at all, but, like, the fact that they won due to their spectacular Quidditch job, it's like, isn't this supposed to be about behavior and academics? Especially since this is a year where Harry almost dies during Quidditch because the fucking (laughs) Dementors show up. It's like, uh... Exactly. Yeah. So. Okay. Um, Anna, what do you have next? Um, so I feel like this could be in politics or education, but I'm going to put it here. Talking, going, circling back to Lupin, you know, many, many years ago reading this, I was like, oh, it's sad. We should have empathy for Lupin. And then I learned to be not a bigot and whatever. But like now I'm just like, oh my God, this fucking meta, like, ah no oh god why are you writing these things like what and then (laughs) and then like you're writing these things having said that it was a metaphor for this like what like oh my god frustrating Mm -hmm. it's just like oh okay so that i mean that conversation that lupin has with harry i just it felt really heartbreaking being an educator in texas and like being friends with a lot of educators in texas like it's not that far from reality right just so like it I just it hits so differently now reading it now being like oh my god like being in that situation and knowing that the that it's not worth it to fight the teachers and knowing that like it's you're just gonna like kind of pack up and move on or like find something else to do like just sucks and it was really frustrating again like kind of traumatic and then really frustrating to know that it's being written by someone who just does not care enough to make it worth the trauma that it's inflicting on readers mm-hmm. you know I have, okay, as a writer, I have, you know, messed up or done things not that now I would not write, 
Um, and luckily I had a chance to correct them before they were published where I was like, you know, exploring or looking at uh, a pain that I didn't really like have the experience with. And luckily had some very smart people tell me like, hey, if you're not gonna write about the joy of this thing or this experience or this thing, this whatever, like why are you gonna give us the pain of it? Why are you the person to do that? Uh, so I just was feeling that very strongly of like, like why do we have her take on what it, or like her, her example of what does it mean to be outed and then have to leave your job when we know she doesn't really care and she doesn't have the, like it's just, it was frustrating. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yes, it sure is. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, we actually ha we actually have a whole episode where that we did this year about why I clicked through it. Yeah, yeah. So go listen to our episode about why this metaphor about werewolfism like HIV is terrible. Yeah, it'll be the show notes. I don't remember which episode that is. Um, but yeah, I mean, you're you're totally right. Where it's like now knowing all that we know about her, it's like very gross. Yeah. Yeah. Even worse. And, and weird because I remember this landing so differently when I was a kid and thinking like, wow, it's great that we sympathize with him or like, it's great that we're seeing that you shouldn't treat people differently. And like, mm, is it great though? It's not great. It's very, <laughs> very far is in the basement and you're not clearing it. Right. I mean, I feel like especially because he says that it's because he like forgot to take his potion and put everyone in danger and he's like see so like they're right i shouldn't be a professor exactly. and it's like no you shouldn't have been written to have forgotten to take your potion because you literally never would yeah. you didn't do anything wrong here and like even if you did forget to take it the circumstances under which you forgot to take it are quite exceptional yeah you're ex-lover shows up on this fucking map <laughs> and like you know you think he's trying to kill your like adopted son like it's it's cool buddy like sometimes we fuck up when wild shit is happening like that doesn't mean that you need to quit and maybe in a more perfect world the administration would stand up for you right yeah maybe they would have some publicly available wolfsbane for you and all the other wolves to take and N elim completely eliminate the concern about people being attacked by werewolves. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But that would be too much like right. So we did <laughs> not do that. Uh, I only have one last thing in education, which is that these teachers need a fucking union. <laughs> like, okay, not only is Lupin un... I mean, very realistically concerned about his job, but I'm like, oh, if you had a union, maybe we could have mitigated this. But also, Dumbledore's like, oh, July made another prediction. I should offer her a raise. And I'm like, yes, give her a fucking raise. And I'm like, wait a minute. <laughs> you really need some collective bargaining power here at Hogwarts. This shit is too fucked up for them to not be like, so you can't, you're really scraping the barrel for the Defense Against the Art Dark Arts teacher. Like, what if we all walked out? <laughs> would you get to teach transfigurations then <laughs> yeah <laughs> yep agreed i feel like the moral of 2020 is that the only unions that exist are for people who shouldn't have unions yep <laughs> like yep. everyone everyone should have a union except for the people who have unions. <laughs> yeah i know why aren't people like you're trying to union bus cops uh, I mean, they are. It just is really, 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 really hard, turns out. Yeah, yeah, this is true. My dad straight up didn't believe me that there was no such thing as a novel writer union. 
was just like, no, you sh- you there, it, there is, you'll find it, and then you'll get insurance. And I was like, that's not a thing that happens. And he was like, no, there has to be. It's like, <laughs> and I mean, realistically, there really should be. It really should. Yeah, like, why isn't there a novel writers union? That sounds great. Everyone should have a union, except for cops. Yes. <laughs> Welcome to Editorials, where we rant about stuff. <laughs> um, again, it's been a while since I've looked at a lot of these books and, like, read a chapter and, like, sat down with it. And so I'm, I'm sure that my perception was colored by, like, my feelings right now. But everyone just felt so mean and vindictive in, like, just such petty ways. Um, we talked about Snape being so, 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 so petty. But, like, Dumbledore just, like, gleefully eye-twinkling while Snape has a breakdown because of the basically the, the ridiculous trick that Dumbledore played on him and then just is really enjoying himself. Like, why? Like, he's your right hand man kind of like why would you do this to him um my friend Irvin who wrote um some like critical fan theory stuff and he has a book called the life and lies of Albus Percival Wolfric Brian Dumbledore Ooh. uh which is great I want to look at that examination of like Dumbledore as a character and what he knew at any point in the series so he wrote a whole thing about why that moment this this moment in this chapter and Dumbledore being so mean to Snape is the reason that Voldemort was able to come back in book four, because they Snape gets mad and Dumbledore and Snape are in a fight for so much of book four, and that's why they don't catch on. That's why they don't figure out the plot. Oh. It's really good. Y'all should check it out. Um. You should, if you would mind, like, sending us some info Yeah, let me make, like, a note to do that. Because it's, like, I read that, and now it's, like, it's so, so headcanon that I, like, can't see anything else. But I'm just like, Dumbledore, like, what are you doing? Why are you doing this? Why be mean to Snape in this way? But, yeah, and so, like, seeing it play out and just being like, yeah, like, why? Like, what? Um, And it wasn't just that. It was also, oh, like, okay, I mean, I know that the Dursleys are not good people and that they have abused Harry. But he was just like, like kind of being pretty, pretty like, aha, uh-huh, well, maybe they'll be glad to be rid of me because of what I did to Marge, haha. And the same thing with like, I'm gonna, oh, there's a murderer who's coming to get me, haha. And I'm like, these are, like, I understand, he, this is not the, you know, it's not the example I'm most angry about, but like to see Harry doing those little, just like, like little tiny cruelties was just kind of uh, building this whole thing. It was also the way that, the trio acted to Hagrid and then to the rest of their classmates about like, ha, they don't know what happened, fools or whatever. Like, I was just like, yeah, they don't know what happened because it was a big secret and they're probably scared and or confused. Like, there's just felt like there was so much small, petty meanness. Um, And I mean, you know, I was going in reading thinking like, this author is small and petty and mean. So maybe (laughs) I was noticing those things more. And Dumbledore talking about Trelawney. And the little snipe about, oh, maybe I should give her a raise, but, like, the undertone of, like, she's worthless anyway. Like, it was just so many things. That's how I felt. You're not wrong. Yeah, those are all great points. Yeah, you're you're not wrong. Those are all definitely choices that were made. Mm-hmm. Yep. Dum- Dumbledore's uh, flavor of gaslighting is something that I did actually talk about in the last episode for our listeners but not the last published episode as of this moment that i like 
enjoy reading because I think that it's like really funny though I understand that if it was like being perpetrated against me I would be irate but the part that I couldn't get past was when he was like Snape are you suggesting that they can be two places at once where it was like Snape knows that Hermione has a time turner like he's like yes I am suggesting that because literally this child has a time turner what the fuck? And Dumbledore just says it in a way that, like, indicates that if Snape were to be like, yes, everyone would be like, you're ridiculous. Like, what is wrong with you? And so Snape can't speak up. And it's like, that is, as much as I enjoy the fact that you're, like, saying this with, like, a twinkle in your eye and it's just like, wow, you're so absurd. I'm like, no, that's, like, cruel. That's so fucking mean. I yeah. can't get behind this. Yeah, it definitely makes Snape look like you know, the image of, like, the dude with the red string on the wall cooking a bunch of, like, photos and papers. But it's like, no, he's right. The kids had, did have something to do with this. <laughs> yes. His instincts are correct. <laughs> also, it's you're in a magical school. You have magic. Don't tell me there's no way to be two places at once. Magic! It's magic! Yeah, which is, like, a rare moment of nuance from this series. Like, usually we don't talk about nuance a lot on this podcast. That's, <laughs> that's something that we only talk about on Escape from Reality. But this is a rare moment where it's like Snape is both correct and reacting to his information inappropriately. Mm-hmm. He can both be wrong in, like, attacking a child about this thing that he's upset about that, like, more or less has nothing to do with the child and be justifiably upset about the situation and correct about his assessment. Yeah, you would think someone who is like a double spy would have like better emotional control. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, so Jesse, I think it's your turn. So both my editorials are about the only good pieces of advice that Dumbledore gives in this chapter which again are part of his larger manipulations but I thought the first thing is actually really great where he's kind of like talking about like Harry it's not your fault of whatever actions Peter decides to do as a as a result of what of your choice like you're not responsible for other people's choices mm-hmm. which is a great life advice in general <laughs> and b also it's like yeah Peter Pettigrew could have like fucked off and like gone to a different continent and just started a new life or he could have found another family to live with and just been a rat for mm-hmm. a spoiled house pet for a while <laughs> which let's be real spoiled house pets not a bad life better than being in jail or yeah. being working with lord voldemort like come on now but he decides to continue to help fascism so yeah. that's not that's not Harry's responsibility to like Stop mm-hmm. being a fascist. Right. Also, yeah. And just like his whole feelings about that are very understandable. Yeah. Yep. Okay. So we have Fudge <laughs> being like, yeah, the Dementors are going to have to go. Like, they're out of control. They attacked a child. Who would have thought? We got to get them out of here. And it's like, at what point? Did you think Mm -hmm. that the Dementors were under control? We have been saying it this whole book. Like, where have you been, fucking Minister (laughs) of Magic? Like, these creatures have never, ever been under control. And I am frankly offended that you think it's a surprise that they almost kissed two children. 
What the fuck? Uh, can I bring up an even more terrible counterpoint to this? Yes, please. Is that maybe Fudge doesn't know about the other times because Dumbledore hasn't been telling him about the other times the Dementors have been out of control. Probably true. No, Dumbledore's real mad that the Dementors are on campus. He would be doing everything in his power to get them gone. This is one time where I think that Dumbledore (laughs) is not doing some sort of, like, secret manipulation situation. Because, like... It's like, it's not even time yet to be talking about getting the Dementors off campus. And he's like, so Fudge, can we check in about these fucking Dementors? We will be taking them away, right? Fair. That's very fair. All right. Yeah, we can just go back to uh, Fudge being totally incompetent. I I had it written in my notes. I was going to bring this up as Fudge, who, you know, was the headliner of the Dementors eating people's faces party, shocked that the Dementors would eat people's faces. <laughs> oh my god, I was literally just thinking that in my brain when Lark was talking so bad. Oh my god. <laughs> that's yeah. perfect. It's, that's what it is. Yep, who could have known? Gonna have to make that meme <laughs> when this goes up. Yeah. Heck yeah. Alright, uh, Anna, it's your turn. So, like, I mean, we've talked a lot about Dumbledore, but, like, one of the things that just annoyed me or, like, just, I was, like, because, again, I'm jumping in in the middle, and it starts with, like, Harry, we've got exactly ten minutes. We've got to run. And I was, like, why? Why? (laughs) (laughs) Like, why do you have to run? Wait a second. Pause. Hold the phone. Dumbledore sent you to do this thing. What exactly are you, like, it's the same question as, like, why did he have to lock the door? Why did he have to put all of this pressure on them? And then there's a moment where she's like, where Harry's like, what happens if we don't make it? She's like, let's not think about it. I'm like, what? (laughs) (laughs) This is so much pressure to put on like 12 and 13 year old, 13 year olds. Why? Dumbledore, for what reason? (laughs) You could have just said, when you're done, come to my office. Like, there's so many simpler. You did not have to put this level of, of just like... Like, you have a window to operate, but if you do anything wrong, it's on you and you'll get in trouble. Like, no, this is your responsibility too, Dumbledore. You should be in this with them. I mean, Dumbledore should have been the one to go back in time, honestly. Right. Like, there's just so... But how could he have, could, how could he have secured his alibi by right. making the kids do it? it? It's just so, like... They should, he's, instead of being the, like, wink and give a speech that you stole from the Lion King, he could have been a genuine, like, support and collaborator, and instead, he is not, and it made me annoyed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> um, so this is a two-parter. Harry says to Lupin, you're the best defense against the dark arts teacher we've ever had. Don't go. But what he means is, you're the only dad I've ever had. Don't go. And it's like, right, just like rip my heart out and like step on it. That's so rude. Why is this chapter so upsetting and (laughs) so sad? And then we see him later in the chapter just like unable to stop thinking about how he could have gone to live with Sirius and how this chance has been taken away from him. And everyone's like, cheer the fuck up, Harry. Like, you saved the day. And he's like whose day did I save? Like, this sucks. I'm so sad. I just lost two dads in, like, five minutes. And I am just really fucking sad about it. Yeah, this this is a very, this is a very sad ending of the Mm -hmm. books. 
I remember just being so angry when I, the first time I read this. I'm just like, what the, no, what the fuck? But what? But no, what? No. Mm-hmm. And just being so angry. Uh, it's hard to be a protagonist. I know, Harry. He just he just gets the short end of the stick in like all of these fucking books. It's like the problem with being a chosen one is mm-hmm. that you can never have a happy life, and that's terrible. <laughs> just so we're all just tears. Um, yes, Jesse. Uh, I, I mean, this is an. I think still keeping on the sadness train, kind of, is that one of my like other favorite bits from the book is Dumbledore's line about, like, do you think the dead we love ever truly leave us? Which is, like... I feel like such a good way to deal with your loved ones dying and being, like, but they're not here anymore. But it's, like, but they were part of you inside. And it's, like, oh, my God. (laughs) And I still feel a little bad being, like, feeling this way about a quote from this book. Because it's, like, fuck you, JKR. But... Even a bigoted pig will... Snort up a truffle sometimes, question mark. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we're definitely going to use that in a graphic. I hope you're okay with that. It's so beautiful. Okay. I know, so we've ranted about this before, the whole, like, Sirius ordered the broomstick in Harry's name, like, sent a cat... To order the thing in a human's name, who is not even the cat's person, and like, he's like, and I told them to take it out of my vault. In which, like, in the letter, he's like, Vault 7-Eleven, right? Yeah. Which is mine. And I'm like, if all you need to purchase things using someone else's vault, like someone else's money, is their vault number, (laughs) you should be securing that information like it's your social security number. Don't put that in a letter. Like Harry, Hermione, and Ron can all now go buy whatever the fuck they want by mail using your money, Sirius Black. Apparently, this is the worst fucking system. This is like if anyone could just like steal your checkbook and then go set up like direct withdrawals to like pay for things using your checking account. That's real bad. I I will say though that I think nothing would give Sirius more joy than if they eventually <laughs> go hog wild on what is inevitably blood money living in the Black family vault. Like <laughs> you know they've gone into some shady ass shit. Like they're one of those old school pure blood families. That is all blood money. I guarantee you. So he's probably like <laughs> Tell all your friends. Fucking give it away in handfuls. <laughs> My mom is rolling in her portrait right now. Fucking do it. I definitely hadn't considered that that was like sensitive information. Uh, but yeah, as soon as you said it, I was like, oh, well, maybe he did it on purpose. Like, here's my credit card, kid. Uh, yeah. <laughs> can't be your best father in other words. But um, yeah, no, I, I think in one of those moments of like giving the book more benefit of the doubt than it deserved, I was just, just I just assumed that he had to include more information than that <laughs> in his actual letter to the, I don't know. I but no it, if he did, if he did, then they would have been like, oh, fuck, Sirius Black yeah. is buying a broomstick for Harry Potter. Like yeah. someone would have raised a red flag at some point. Yeah. Yeah. So 
Yeah, I mean, I guess, A, he probably trusts the kids, and B, you're right, like him being like, take my credit card, whatever. (laughs) But he did express concern that the letter was going to go astray. Yeah. So, like, just thinking that, like, anyone who finds this letter who would be willing to, like, rat him out so he can't give his location could then just, like, steal his money, which he would not be able to go be like, that was actually a fraudulent charge (laughs) because he's, like, a literal wanted murderer. Like, that's very dangerous. Yeah. I have this some kind of magical, like, thumbprint signature verification shit they use. Because it's like, right. At that point, it's like, who cares if Gringotts is impenetrable to break into if anyone could just take out money through the postal service? Like, right. doesn't sound very secure to me. <laughs> One of the many bad systems going on. <laughs> Especially because you can just do it via cat. <laughs> <laughs> A whole mess. <laughs> it's a whole mess. Welcome to Corrections, where we correct stuff. I had a not so much a correction of the chapter, but a something I wanted to respond to in your previous episode. Is Ooh, that okay? okay? Yes, yeah. please. All right. So let me read my notes because it's scribbled. So in the previous episode, or at least the previous posted episode, sorry, I guess there's going to be some in the middle. Y'all were talking with, I think, Sarah. Yeah. Um, saying, like, you know, if this had worked out differently and Harry had been able to move in with Sirius, like, would Dumbledore have stopped that from happening and manipulated it out? And I was like, he did. Because he's the one, whose fault is it that Harry can't move in with Sirius? Dumbledore had all the information. Like, Dumbledore has had the ability to get all the pr- gather all the proof and clear Sirius's name and he just chose to not to so like I was just when I heard y'all say that I was like I feel like he already had his thumb on the scale making sure that Harry couldn't move in with Sirius and that Sirius was going to be hidden and just only able to be like Dumbledore's army not a real citizen because I don't have a very high opinion of Dumbledore (laughs) that's an excellent point yeah it sure is it really is a very gaping hole especially actually in the chapter previous to this when it's like why is anyone taking snape's word for what happened when you could use a pensive or truth serum or all these things all these tools at your disposal and they're like well eyewitness testimony sounds cool yeah or like dumbledore could have taken any steps to have better eyewitness testimony like there were just so many things yeah. that he did not do because he cle- it clearly wasn't that important to him to clear sirius's name yeah, yeah. Yeah, we need, like, a new, like, we don't really do Witch NSA Watch anymore because it's not as intense as it was in the beginning, but we need some sort of, like, new Dumbledore omniscience being the worst watch because (laughs) this isn't quite Witch NSA level, but it is real, real shitty manipulation from this dude who really does have the knowledge and the power to sort of fix so many things. <laughs> but how else will his human sacrifice be ready to be sacrificed? Exactly. An excellent question. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Welcome to the health and science section, where we talk about things that are loosely related to health and or science. Uh, Jesse, do you want to go first? Uh, I do. I just have a very brief thing about wolf hierarchies, which I'm sure you all are very excited about. <laughs> which I haven't talked about at all really during this chapter, but or during this book. But I just wanted to point out to everyone that the common idea of there being an alpha wolf 
and like a better wolf and whatever the fuck is completely incorrect. Uh, that is in, that is incorrect science based on observing captive wolves who are not related in the wild wolves just form family packs like pe- the people the wolves in the packs are related and the head wolves are the parents <laughs> so that just makes lupin as we all know the dad and serious the other dad dad wolf of their little pack and i just wanted to just sorry Ari, sorry everyone and it's gonna get even more worse when i go on talking about pickwidgeon so <laughs> oh, okay. cool <laughs> um yeah anna what do you have first I sort of had a question about like how prophecies worked um, magically, scientifically, because actually because of the Dumbledore speech about like, well, it's not really your fault, you know, nothing that you do, it was prophesied to be and, and Pettigrew is making his own choices. But I was like, wait, I think it is, I mean, not that Harry should be feeling guilty about like the things that he did, but I think it is actually his fault because don't we actually say that like prophecies respond to the choices that people make? Hence why Cher- why Harry is the chosen one instead of Neville. So, like, actually, just because she said it was going to happen doesn't mean that Harry had no hand in it happening. So, I just was, I wasn't sure that, I, Dumbledore's speech, while maybe comforting, I don't, didn't know if it was accurate. I feel like, at least the vibe that I got off of it was more like, Harry couldn't have done otherwise because of the person that he is, as opposed to, like, because it was prophesized. But, yeah. like, he's, like, you can't blame yourself because, like, there was no timeline in which you, Harry Potter, mm-hmm. were, like, yeah, kill that dude. Like, that's <laughs> yes. not who you are. Which I think is sort of a, like, it's not your fault in some ways. Even though, obviously, he did, like, he made a choice that led to the thing happening. But, like, I don't know. Sometimes good choices have unexpectedly bad outcomes. Yeah. Yeah, Rex, you you understand. <laughs> yeah, Rex Rex is deeply in agreement about that story. <laughs> Rex is like all those all those children. I'm so sorry. <laughs> yes. Okay. I just I don't think there's actually a conversation to this. And if there's not, just say that there isn't and we'll skip it. Like Dumbledore says that Harry's Patronus is unusual. Is that true? Is that just a weird thing that he says? Is he just trying to make him feel special and chosen again? <laughs> Maybe. Maybe. I didn't really think about it. It's like they're all animals, dude. Like, what do you, <laughs> what do you mean? Yeah, we don't see any repeats, so it's not like like we don't know that there's one that's really common and one that's not common. Yeah, it's like everyone else has a dog, Patronus, and you're the only one with a deer. Like, that's not. Hermione has an otter. Yeah, I don't remember if it's just in the movies or in the books, but like... I thought one of the kids in the in the DA has like a horse Patronus. So it's even like not even like large mammals are like you seem to be very uncommon, you know? Right. Alright. Welcome to Owl Corner. It is Pigwidgeon time. Alright, so first I'm gonna start off with this cool information from the Harry Potter wick the Harry Potter wiki, in which someone brings up that Pigwidgeon means small or pretty. It apparently combines Pig and Widgeon, which are two species of duck in North America and Europe. And also, it is der- it's also a derivative of Pigeon, also known as the Rock Dove, everyone's favorite trash bird. <laughs> so no idea what Ginny was reading to find Pig Widgeon, but maybe she's a bird nerd. I don't know. <laughs> That's so weird. Maybe birding is her passion. 
Oh my god, I would love that. <laughs> we wouldn't know because she's never on the page. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the other thing is, is that, so we don't specifically get a species of owl unlike, you know, like Hedwig and a lot of other owls in the book. It just says that Pigwidgeon is a tiny owl. I'm actually going to drop a link into the chat. JKR said that she considers Pigwidgeon to be a Scopes owl, which are very tiny, funny looking. They look just like teeny barn owls. There's a bunch of different kinds. The most common one, I think, to the UK is just like a Eurasian Scopes owl. And they migrate, but they're very common in the Mediterranean, which is maybe where Sirius sent this letter from. <laughs> just chilling in on the beach, befriending owls. Who knows? Very cute Sounds to think like about. Good time. Yeah. Some of these are real cute, and some of them are deeply upsetting. <laughs> and some of them are both. Yes, yes. I think this is why there's a lot of mythology about owls being connected with, like, death. And I think it's because they're so frightening looking. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, yeah, that looks like an animal that would, like, take my soul to the underworld. They also poop out whole skeletons. That's true. That's pretty That's pretty uh, metal of them. It <laughs> is. <laughs> Have either or both of you seen the thing from the Toast R.I.P. Everything What's Wrong of Owls? I don't think I have. I think I have. It's really, really good. It's just pictures of owls with like a sentence or two about like why it's a terrible owl. (laughs) I love it so much. I'm going to put it in the show notes. I just have like an objective to make everyone in the world read more of the toast even though it's defunct now did danny write that yeah of course (laughs) uh all right i dropped a i dropped a second link into the chat which is so apparent so we know that if you've watched the movies pig widget doesn't show up but apparently there was like weird promotional photos of uh movie four where uh, they have Rupert Grant with a small southern white-faced owl as Pigwidgeon, which are definitely still frightening looking, but also kind of like cute in a way. So the end of this is that you can imagine Pigwidgeon looking like any number of tiny owls, <laughs> but I do really like the way that these white-faced owls look. They have like gold eyes and they just... Yeah, again, some of these pictures, very cute. Some of these pictures, like, this is clearly actually a demon masquerading as a bird. I mean, you know, just to, to quote Twin Peaks, the owls are not what they seem. So. <laughs> <laughs> great, great talk. <laughs> uh, is that our owl lesson? Yep, that is my, it's my bird corner. So. Cool. <laughs> I learned so much. Me too. Cool. My last thing is also owl related, but just like this scene is our first evidence of just like exactly how much owls are like creepy psychic tracking devices because this owl doesn't just like find Harry. It finds his compartment on a moving train. Holy shit. That is (laughs) very upsetting. And also, yeah, Sirius is like, I can't tell you where I am, but just, like, send me a letter with Hedwig, she'll find me. And it's like, how does that work? And also, if that works, why haven't they found Sirius already? Because, like, just send him an owl and follow it. It's very easy. It's very easy. I didn't think about that specifically. I did think about, I thought you had to write the address, and I, like, 
you know, just, I guess, headcanon from book one that you had to write that very specific address. But, like, apparently not. Apparently you can just be like, chuck the owl out and see what happens. Yeah, exactly. See, this is another reason why they're, they're like iPhones. They have fucking GPS tracking. <laughs> exactly. It's like, find your friend. Yes, and everyone just has find your friend's location sharing services turned on, and you can't turn it off. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Which... Again, I mean, this comes up a lot. I feel very upset by the idea of people being able to find me against my will. So I'm just like, that's fucked up. Don't send me an owl. How dare you? (laughs) Anna, thank you again for joining us for this episode. It was incredible. And if you would be so kind as to tell our listeners where they can find you on the internet. Yes. Um, thank you all for having me. This was super, super fun. Love some good Harry Potter nerd times. You can find me on mostly Twitter. I'm mostly on Twitter. At Anna M is boring. That's my handle. I <laughs> kind of stand by it. And my website is just AnnaMariano.com. If you specifically want pre-order information for the book, you can do AnnaMariano.com slash this is how we fly and you'll see all the pre-order information some live streams we've done uh to talk about the book and stuff i think that's all i have (laughs) cool yeah and we will link to all of that in the show notes so that people can just click on it and find you yeah the gaily prophet is a creation of hashtag ruthless productions which is our new umbrella organization for all of the things that we do because we make a whole lot of podcasts now and we're so much more than just the gaily prophet anyway it is also produced mixed and edited by me lark malachi gray you can find us all over the internet at the gaily prophet for now we might be changing that to hashtag ruthless pretty soon keep tabs on that uh, but we're on Instagram and Twitter there. Our Tumblr is the Gaily Prophet Podcast. And uh, our website is thegailyprophet.com, where you can find all sorts of cool things, including a bunch of rad merch and our new sticker club. You can also find us on Patreon at patreon.com slash thegailyprophet. Don't forget to check out our other podcast, Escape from Reality, where we talk about the Simon Snow series by Rainbow Rowell. And uh, if you love Buffy the Vampire Slayer as much as we do, be sure to consider joining our Patreon because we have a Buffy podcast there called We Are the Gayers. Our show art is by Theo Julian Forrester. The music in our theme song is by Kevin McLeod. Our spoiler warning is by Sarah Sarwar. And until next time, happy almost 2021, everyone.